Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back, everyone, to the Rotor World Football Podcast. It's the most important podcast in the universe because you make it so. My name is Josh Norris. All right, today we have Chris Sims, now fully full-time over at NBC Sports. I cover a wide variety of topics with Chris, like what's the difference between a backup and a quarterback's mindset since he filled both roles in the NFL. Also, what it's like when one of your front five offensive linemen gets hurt and how drastic of a change that is for a team. Also some insight about his time with the Patriots on the coaching staff, his time with John Gruden, and if John Gruden has changed at all in 2018 and 2019. We play a fun game with NFL lie detector in some ways. Some some comments and quotes that NFL decision makers have given us, and we decide if they are true or if they're false. If you like what you hear from Chris, be sure to subscribe to his podcast, Chris Sims Unbuttoned. You can find it on all podcast platforms. It's also up on NBC Sports' YouTube page. You can also find Chris on PFT Live Monday through Thursday on NBCSN every single morning. Uh, If you missed my conversation with Easton Stick last week, go listen to that. And also my podcast with Danny Kelly of The Ringer on prospects that are difficult to evaluate in the 2019 NFL Draft. If you enjoy this podcast for any moment, hit that subscribe button. And if you already subscribed, I really do appreciate it. Leave us a rating and review. It takes about five seconds, 10 seconds. It'll just help us reach new audience members. All right, here's my conversation with Chris. And as always, I start off by asking, what wins in today's NFL? That's a really good question, actually. Actually, easy, but deep and and all-encompassing there. What wins in the NFL? I think the first thing I would say is, on the defensive side of the ball, the thing I would say more than anything is, this day and age, you got to be able to give the quarterback different looks, okay? Uh, There's always the talk of, like, hey, the Seattle defensive scheme, right? Seattle Seahawks, which made so famous, and it's all over the league now, right? Whether it's the the Atlanta Falcons, Mm -hmm. the Jacksonville Jaguars, the you know, it's the San Diego or Los Angeles. Right. Yes, they're doing it right. I got you there. Uh, but either way, the San Francisco 49ers, yep. they're running it. Now, to me, okay, that defense, of course, has some great qualities, and we know it's been successful. But it really is a next-level defense when they have top-tier talent on it like Seattle did in its prime. Now, the league has gotten used to it because of all the different teams that do it, and I think it's very easy on quarterbacks. It's it kind of a defense that feasts on the poor. Whenever they play a good offense that has a good quarterback in a scheme, it gets torn up because there's really only two or three things schematically they do. So I guess changing looks, disguises – that's what wins on the defensive side of the ball. On the offensive side of the ball, 
I think we're getting back to like old school style of football once again to say like what wins. I think balanced football is back in vogue. I do. Whether you look at the Rams, the Patriots, the Saints, all three in the top six are rushing last year. I don't know if anybody used the fullbacks more than the Patriots. We know the Saints do. The Rams dabble it in a little bit. Uh, a lot of good teams have gotten back to almost what you would say basic football. My buddy Kyle Shanahan with the 49ers, they get in the eye formation a lot. I think what they've realized this day and age where everything's spread, right? Spread, spread, spread. High school spread. College is spread. Middle linebackers, safeties, defensive linemen are not used to, oh my gosh, there's a pulling guard? What is this? Holy cow. And wait, wait, they had a trap block with the fullback leading through the hole? Like Those things are now as unseen or raw to the defensive player coming into the NFL from college as maybe the spread was 15 or 20 years ago when guys were like, whoa, they're spread the field. This is crazy. Do you think yeah. during the season that game between the Rams and the Chiefs kind of warped our opinion of what succeeds in the NFL? I do. Because, yeah. and you talked about defense, and it's interesting that you answer that question from the jump on the defensive <laughs> side of the ball, because I think a lot of people believe offense now wins. Sure. That game kind of led me to believe that kind of where defenses are moving might be for some teams. Hey, try to keep up with our offense. Yeah. And then defensively, we can have these playmakers, an Aaron Donald. Sure. A Chris Jones who can make that one final play at the end that can be game changing. Right. Just hope for that. Yeah. No, I think there are some teams that look at it and go, okay, wait, our defense is not that great. So we're willing to get in a shootout. Yeah. And we just want to make a play at some point point on the defensive side of the ball to give ourselves one more possession. I would say that was the Kansas City Chiefs in a nutshell, exactly. right? Right. I mean, it was, oh, okay. Yep, we're up 21 nothing. Oh, it's 21 all now. Okay, we're in a shootout. Hopefully D Ford or Justin Houston make a big play to change the tide of the game. I think, what was your original question there, now that I'm blanking out? With how it was warped. Oh, yes, I do season. think it warped it, though. Yes, I do. I mean, again, I think we saw New England Patriots go on a playoff run where it was more eye formation and downhill running and yeah. then play action passes off it than I can remember it a long time out of a Super Bowl winning team. And then I, you know, on defense... And, of course, New England is the the bar we should all look at and go, oh, what they do seems to work, so let's copy it. They're a game plan-specific defense. And that's where I go back to like your original question about what's wins and what doesn't and whatever else. Hey, I think a lot of the good defenses, the Baltimore Ravens, mm -hmm. you know, the New England Patriots. Multiple. Uh, multiple, exactly right. Oh, this week, man, we don't like our matchup. We're going to play cover two all game. It's just, you know, we feel like that fits us. Oh, now it's Kansas City Chiefs? Well, we're going to play man-to-man -man and we're going to double Tyree Kill every play. Yeah. And I think that ability not only messes up the, the play caller, but it confuses quarterbacks too. And, and the I think offensive that's, line. Like and the offensive the line. Bowl. Exactly like, right. With, with the Patriots, I mean, because that Rams offensive line has played almost perfectly for two seasons. Sure. And a big part of that, and I'll get to this in one of the questions, yeah. has been their offensive line health and the offensive line continuity. No question. How much that impacts right. the success of a team. Right. And when you look at the Patriots, and I know Trey Flowers just got paid, but they might not necessarily have one player that, hey, one-on-one, -on -one, we're going to ask you to win each and every rep. No. But they were so multiple with bringing Calvin Noy, bringing Dante Howard, right. Tower, with their loops and their crosses yeah. and everything that... Um, one D lineman, four linebackers standing up, all those kind of things. And we're kind of seeing things. that now 
be approached with teams that haven't in the past, like the Carolina Panthers this offseason, I've talked about trying to be more multiple. Sure. And, you know, maybe beat writers or those who cover the team get too focused on, okay, is it a 3-4, is a 4-3? Like, as we know, yes. nickel package You got to do rule. both, right. But yes. then, to me, the multiple just stands out in trying to switch it up every week and, cre- and manufacturing disruption. Yes. And not because you can't find just your Aaron, Aaron Donald, you can't find your Khalil Mack. No, exactly right. Just who wins in one-on-one situations. Right. What are you going to do? Yeah, right. What are you going to do to manage that disruption like you're talking about? I mean, okay, last week we played a lot of cover four, okay? Well, this week we're going to play cover four, but let's try to make our cover two look like our cover four so the quarterback can't get a beat on it or wait to the last second to roll a safety down to become a single safety defense to where it looked like cover four and now it's cover three. fantastic like that. Exactly. Not first year, but second year when he was really emerging, he was super confused during that matchup. Sure. Um, You talked about the Patriots and their offensive line. I know you spent time with the Patriots in 2012. 12. Right, right. Was Dante Scarnecchia there when you were there? He was there, yeah. How, how much of an impact does Dante Scarnecchia make? Because as we've seen, and in many cases, this Patriots offensive line, as we know, wasn't the highest paid group. No. Nope. They were able to pick guys in round two, round three, round four. Yep. Uh, even trade, you know, fifth rounders for Trent right. Brown. He seems like the most important position coach in the NFL. Uh, he's he's up there. I'm not going to disagree with you, Josh. I mean, he's pretty amazing. I mean, especially in the day and age where we're talking about there's more freak defense alignment than ever in the history of the sport. So, yes, I would say he is uh, towards the top of the list. To me, just to start out with that conversation, offensive line coaches in football, Dante Skarnecchia, Mike Munchak, now with the Denver Broncos, they stand alone. They're kind of the, the, the cream of the crop as far as that position's concerned. When I was there in New England, I've never had anybody really ask me specifically about We're this, going so this is a good question by you. But either way, with Skarnecchia, they lean on Skarnecchia for all things. I mean, Evaluation, I know for sure. No doubt about it. I mean, uh, evaluation, whether it's on film, when they bring him into private workouts, he has his own little routine and things he looks for out of the players to see yeah. if they can be successful, let alone his ability to get, uh, coach technique to make the players better once they get there. But yes, I mean, Belichick listens to Skarnecchia anything to do with offensive alignment. Josh McDaniels, when it's Tuesday and he's figuring out the game plan for the upcoming Sunday matchup, he goes to Dante Skarnecchia and goes, okay, what are the four or five runs you like against the defense of what you've seen? Okay, those are the runs you like? Okay, now I can marry some play-action passes with it and do some other things to go off of that. So, yeah, Skarnecchia is phenomenal. Um, he's a curmudgeon. He fits right up in there with New England. He it's tried immortal. to retire, and he just is like, what, me be a granddad? That's not going to happen. Um, I, enjoy, I enjoyed him, and uh, he, he is. He's a hell of a coach, one of the best I ever witnessed. As someone who played quarterback, not me, you, uh, what was it like playing behind an offensive line that, you know, for training camp, you had your five starters? Yeah. But as we know, almost with any team, one, two, maybe multiple go down. How much of a difference is it continuity across the offensive line when five guys are working together? Yeah, it's a well-oiled machine. You know, as a quarterback, um, you know, listen, my career was not that great. It's not that special. There's not that many moments to talk about. But I'll talk about the 2005 season where we were healthy on the Mm O-line, and then I'll give you the 2006 season where we were banged up and things became a disaster. But yes, to to what you're saying, you know, to have... As you know, you've been around football. Uh, you've seen it. There's a lot of communication that goes on in the line of scrimmage between offense 
offensive lineman. I mean, you call one run play in the huddle, you get up there at times and you run it, but there has to be uh, adjustments made according to how the defense lines up. So there's got to be certain calls, all that, pass protection, run plays, screens, whatever it is. So everybody being able to be on the same page, how quickly can they get on the same page and communicate everything, right? You know, also into the, okay, now the ball snapped and we're pass blocking, having good feel for, oh, okay, this guy, we double team the nose tackle. Okay, he's good. I can leave him and go help out the left tackle yep. now, whatever it may be. All of that is super important, let alone it gives the quarterback confidence. It's one thing when you're underneath the center yeah. and you hear the center barking out, say, you know, hey, we're going to molly to this and hey, left side, you know, you know, trolley call, trolley call, whatever. That makes you feel good as a quarterback. And then you drop back and then you go, okay, I feel good. I don't need to like peek over my shoulder. Now, 2006, we had injuries on our offensive line. We went into the start of the season with some guys who had never played before and things like that. And yes, not only do you hear here what 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 am I doing huh you know at the line of scrimmage which is not very uh, not a good confidence builder but at the same time too it does as a quarterback make you double check make sure oh we're playing the Carolina Panthers it's our first time with the right tackle starting over there you know set hut let me peek just to make sure Julius Peppers is blocked as I'm dropping back and the right tackle didn't mess up a call or whatever it is so it does go a long way and you see the successful team stay healthy there totally I mean it truly is one of the I mean Somehow the Eagles were able to do it with Big V as a left tackle. I know, right. But it really truly is kind of the great separator once teams get to that point. And as we know, like, there aren't five times 32 teams that many good offensive no. linemen across the league. So no. especially not just the continuity, but when talent goes to that second or third level, right. it completely destroys things. Destroys it. Um, you mentioned the Panthers. Yes. If this section does not hit, I will just eliminate it. But I grew up in Charlotte. Yeah. Um, grew up a Panthers fan. Right. It came in 1995. I was seven years old. So if the Panthers did not come to Charlotte, I would probably would not be sitting here. During your rookie year, yes. 2003, yes. the Panthers came to Charlotte. Actually, uh, the, Tim the Bucks Tampa. came to Charlotte. Oh, you're talking about that. Okay, sure. Yes. And I don't know even if you traveled for that game. because I, I did. Okay. I definitely did. So uh, hopefully this rings true. Right. So that was a game, obviously, Jake DeLum, that was the Panthers Super Bowl run. Yes. Great team. Okay. Man. And... Going into the fourth quarter, the Panthers were up, I believe, 20 to 17. Yeah. At that time, inside the stadium, right. there was an in-game host who would go around and ask fans and be like, hey, you're the fan of the game, whatever. I, I remember that. One fan got on in the fourth quarter right. and said, let me tell you something. Warren Sapp and Simeon Rice, you guarantee to win. We guarantee we're going to kick your butt. <laughs> After that, Warren Sapp, Simeon Rice pointed at the scoreboard, started dancing, hopping around, sacked Jake DeLome two of the next three plays. Ultimately, Carolina came back in the final minute. Yeah, threw game. a touchdown pass to Steve Smith, right, where exactly. he jammed it in there, Do you right? remember anything from that game? Because I remember vividly sitting in the seats being like okay that guy screwed up and I was what 15 years old <laughs> so I can't say that I remember the game I don't remember the fan in the stands saying that that was my rookie year I was sitting on the bench for a team that was the defending Super Bowl champions yep. had a ton of personalities you named a few Sapp Simeon Rice Derek Brooks <laughs> Rondé Barber you know Mike Allstott uh you know Michael Pittman Keyshawn Johnson so it was a very fun and entertaining mm-hmm. year now 
I remember Dell home and how clutch he was at the end of the football game. I remember that was my first time with Steve Smith going, who is this little crap yeah, yeah. running all over the place, making all these big plays? Said Muhammad was on the team. Exactly. Ricky Prohl was oh, on the team. Oh, I know. Steven Davis, Steven Davis was yep. phenomenal. I, Steven Davis is somebody I'll never forget, but he was, he was one of those guys. I just remember standing on the sideline going, gosh, damn, this guy's a lot better than I ever thought watching on TV these, these Ugliest years. Ugliest running back number of right. all time, but it did not matter. Didn't matter. Quick feet, made people miss in the space. But what I really remember remember just from that that year and especially with Carolina Carolina had you know a bullseye on Tampa's back they were going to dethrone Tampa as the best defense you're going to talk about that first game they played down in Tampa which was amazing yep the the two blocked field goals extra points a block extra point it was crazy we were going to tie the game it's going to go into overtime it was crazy and they Julius Pepper blocked the extra point to where we didn't go into overtime but that was my first that game you're talking about the week two matchup in Tampa I remember going wow okay this is not this is not college football anymore (laughs) the NFL is a different animal out here these guys are totally intense and crazy and the games are crazy uh, and it's so close and that was a special defense and they wanted to take the throne from the Bucks D. They talked a lot of crap before the game. We matched up with them in week two and uh, yeah. I mean That defensive woo. line was incredible. It was Mike Rucker, Julius yeah. Peppers, Brinson Buckner, Chris Jenkins. Yes, sir. And some real good backups. And no doubt. Yes, it um, was deep. It going was back to your days with Tampa Bay, I'm always wondering with quarterbacks because obviously you were drafted at the end of the third round you went in there with brad johnson and i believe sean king in Exa- front of you exactly well. right yeah what is one sean king former nbc former nbc player, guy right super nice to me whenever we talked football yes super good dude. yeah what is the mindset difference of someone when you enter the season as a backup quarterback yeah. versus when you enter the season as a likely starter yeah no there's there's definitely a you know a different mindset when you when you're the backup you're just constantly paranoid let me stay on you know let me let me dot all my eyes let me cross all my t's okay. i gotta be on top of my game here and then you're also your double want to be on top of your game because you don't get a lot of reps with the ones in practice or you don't get any reps sometimes running your own offense so you're constantly obsessive as practice is going on and meetings going over calls that you might make on the field just to make sure you're on top of it in case they go hey chris you got to go in you don't go in there and you know for lack of a better phrase shit the bed and be like oh oh, 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 I don't know what to check to so I think you know that's kind of the the way you approach being the backup you try to act like you're the starter you just don't get the reps and you got to be super paranoid about staying on, on top of all the details when you're the starter hey the mindset is a little bit like hey I'm I'm the man okay I'm the leader of the group here and I'm gonna lead the offense and uh you know I gotta be on top of everything and be on top of not only the game plan but be charismatic to where guys want to follow you and be a guy that can listen or tell somebody they're wrong when they're doing something wrong uh, I don't know if the mindset's a whole lot different other than when you're the starter you just know on Sunday I better come to perform okay and that's really I would say the biggest difference and I'm not saying that you can put yourself yeah. in someone's shoes like Chase Daniel yeah but right. like Chase Daniel certainly seems like he's super content of being a backup quarterback cashing checks yes and like making a lifestyle out of that I, I get I get it and yeah, yes I mean I think there are certain quarterbacks that are content with that role and it, it's a great role I mean I, I understand that you're making money you're you a know not getting hit right yeah. uh but at the same time, you know, yeah, I was not one of those guys. I 
I was always, you know, gosh, damn, I want a chance to get out there, get a chance to play. I viewed myself as a starter. But at the same time, when you are a backup, hey, you got to be good cheerleader too. Respect to Brad Johnson. Tell him he's doing a good job. Uh, what did you see when he come off the field? Maybe give him your two cents, uh, whatever that may be. But um, not a huge difference okay. in mindset, as I think maybe the public would think at totally. times, you know. Uh, one more question, then we'll get into some recent current yeah. stuff. Yeah. Obviously, during that time with the Bucks, you played with John Gruden for right. John Gruden. Right. How much do you think John coaching wise has changed from that point to 2018? Because I'm sure you reviewed a lot of his stuff from 2018, even if you wanted to put yes. your eyes out. Uh, yeah, no, I did. I got a, to- a whole lot of respect for John Gruden. I mean, I learned so much football under him. We had so many great times together. You know, we still keep in touch through text and, hey, how you doing? Good luck. Those kind of things. Nothing deep. To answer your question, not as much, not as much change as I would have thought. Me too. Uh, I was really, I would almost say no change. Me too. Yes. <laughs> I, I was a little disappointed if I was uh, going to totally keep it real Especially with you. Especially because he spent so much time in the media. Yes. In meeting rooms with these other young teams. And the, yes. Like he, he talked so often about how much time he spent and his connection with Sean McVay. Right. And even, and you can go into this, even the verbiage from it certainly seemed like he kept his long verbiage compared to Sean, right. who's not going to keep all that. Right, no, I think, um, you know, to what you're saying, yes, I, I saw a lot of the same plays that I always ran when I was the quarterback or the backup or anything under John Gruden uh, playing the quarterback position. Did not see a whole lot of differences in the offense. And I was, I was underwhelmed that way, but it still was effective. They still moved the ball pretty damn well for a team that didn't have a whole lot of weapons on the offensive side of the ball. The verbiage thing, now I know he's cut that down. Okay. He has, right? He always would say it when we played. Like when I was playing back in Tiffy, he's always like, oh, I got to cut this verbiage down. I mean, but then he never it's did. Rid- but then, you know, this offseason, this goal number one, I'm going to do it. <laughs> and then it'd be like May, and I'd be like, hey, what happened to that? You know, verbiage cut down because yeah, this yeah. play takes about 12 minutes to talk about. Oh, yeah. I, you know, I just, we got to make sure everybody knows exactly what they're doing. Now, when I saw him at the owners' meetings last year, he was cut carrying around a playbook and I was like what the hell you got a playbook for what are you doing he's like I'm trying to reteach myself because I've, I've he introduced a new language to the football team to simplify things to help college kids to help free agents when they come in there I haven't asked him yet like say one of our old plays and tell me what it is now I don't know exactly how it works out um, but I do know he made the adjustment do you think potentially not getting up to the times could potentially be his downfall I, I guess I, I do worry about that a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, John, if there's a, a flaw to him, it's kind of uh, at times, this is what I do yeah. and everybody else catch up and stay, keep pace with me. And, you know, again, that can work. Certainly has. He won a Super Bowl. There's no denying that. But uh, I wish at times he would go, wait, I'm asking this group unrealistically to keep up with me and do things on the offensive side of the ball that aren't putting my players in a realistic position to succeed let me come up with a new plan and find a formula that fits my players that I have this year which you know I want to say AK we're going back to New England talk again who nobody is better than that on a yearly basis Uh, but yes I thought we would maybe see a little bit more of that out of him Uh, and who knows maybe he does that this year how tied to Derek Carr do you think he is just from the outside looking in because I mean as we know and we'll get into this in just a second how much connection there has been from the Arizona Cardinals to Kyler Murray at number one. Right. But I mean, there are certainly strong hints that they might be looking at quarterback as well, despite the statements of, hey, yes. Derek Carr is our franchise. Right. Well, I mean, come on. We can't believe any coach or front office guy, you know, Gettleman, we didn't sign him to trade him. I mean, yeah, come on. Not, whole yeah. I mean, none of that. None of that. I don't listen to any of those 
kind of comments when they come out of head coaches or GM's mouths. Now, I think with, you know, again, he's obsessed with quarterbacks. We know that. I was always going, oh gosh, who are we going to draft this year at the quarterback position when I was playing for him? I would think he's obsessed with Kyler Murray and what he brings to the field. I And I saw the quarterback coach and offensive coordinator Greg Olson mm-hmm. back there behind Kyler Murray during the pro day workout. But I think John is smart enough to realize this team has a lot of issues and Derek Carr is one of the least of the issues in general. I also think Derek Carr is a big reason he took the job. And I think that Greg Olson, who I just mentioned, he was in Oakland when they originally drafted Derek Carr. And I know he thought very highly of him. Then he went to Jacksonville, I believe the Rams, and now he was back with Oakland and he's close with John. And I got to think there was some conversation there about Derek Carr can be a special football player. You know, the big question I would say is how could you really evaluate Derek Carr last year in that Gruden offense with as horrible as it was a pass protection lack of playmakers lack of running back you know play especially when Marshawn got hurt so uh, I, I think they're going to stay steady with Derek Carr yeah. at least for one more year and if he has a good year then who knows how long it goes but I don't think he's going to uh, jump the ship quite yet. I'm going to put you on the spot yeah. here but I, it's it's wild to me how much he's connecting himself in that offensive line to Tom Cable but I, I I get you. Yeah. I mean, I'm not the, I'm, you know, hey, you, you you can put me on the spot. You're allowed to. And yes, I'm not necessarily in love with Tom Cable, the offensive line coach either. I think that's Before what you're getting at. Yeah. Once again, we're here with Chris Sims. Chris is on PFT Live Monday through Thursday. Yep. Friday's off. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank also, you. Chris Sims Unbutton, as you can find on any podcast platform. That's Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Also on NBC Sports' YouTube page. If you want to cut that, yeah. and just use that for anything. Okay. Go ahead. <laughs> Thank uh, you. Chris, so let's get with the current times here. You mentioned you don't listen to decision makers, GMs, head coaches. Right. So I kind of wanted to do some NFL lie detector. Cool. Okay. Cool. Uh, We'll start with Dave Gettleman, our personal favorite. Mm -hmm. Uh, Here's his quote. And just tell me if you believe it, if you don't, whatever comes to mind. Sure. This narrative that Eli's overpaid and can't play is a crock. With the way he ended the season and what he's making, there really wasn't a decision to make on bringing Eli back. Yeah. Well, you know, again, uh, there's there's a lot of falsities there, I would say. Is that a word, a real word? Yes, falsities? We'll go, with I, it. Yeah, we'll go with it. I can make up the English language. Uh, if you watch Pro Football Talk Live, you'd learn that. Okay. Also, earlier in that quote, he earlier in that conversation, he he is quoted as also saying they evaluated the quarterback position and thought about all possibilities this offseason. So it obviously wasn't a slam dunk and a crock to think about taking a lesser of a pay cut if you were thinking about moving on from the quarterback altogether in general. So to me, you're kind of talking out of both sides of your mouth there in that one statement alone. Um End of the season, you know, I know there's been a lot of talk about that. And, okay, the last few games, first of all, the Giants were playing for nothing. The Dallas Cowboys in Week 17 were playing for nothing. I know Dak Prescott played in the game, but there was no Ezekiel Elliott, no Tyron Smith, no Zach Martin. There was a number of starters that didn't play, okay? You know, down the stretch, it, you know, okay, was Eli better? Certainly, yes, he was. Better's not saying much, Exactly though. right. I mean, was he better in Week 15 when they lost 17 to nothing at home against the Tennessee Titans? You know, I know they beat the Chicago Bears two weeks before that. But, you know, let's remember they had a pick six. Odell Beckham Jr. threw a long touchdown pass. Um, So, yeah, I have my reservations about Eli Manning. Eli Manning, at the end of the day, is definitely towards the bottom of the list as far as NFL starting quarterbacks right now. I'm not sitting here trying to be a hater or anything like that. I'm just giving you my honest evaluation. You know, yeah, he's a border. I don't think he's really an NFL starting quarterback. He's not a a giant starter at this time. No, he is definitely. 
definitely not. I mean, I think if we sat here and ranked the top 50 quarterbacks, I think Eli would be outside the top 32. I know that I'm Chris Sims and people are all going to sit here and go, oh, well, he's just hating on, you know, this guy because he's he's messing up his dad's legend status with the New York Giants. Screw my dad, okay? I don't really give a damn. I'm very comfortable with my dad's status wherever it may be. Eli's the greatest quarterback in Giants history. I realize all of that. But, I mean, if we're going to really keep it real and talk about Eli Manning and some of the issues, yeah, I just have concerns about the play, uh, the aggressive nature, the arm strength, the ability to hang in the pocket when people are going to be open. And accuracy is a huge issue as well. You know, a lot of his stats are going to look decent when you look back from last year. I wonder why. But he's Charlie Checkdown. Yes. He took over the mantelpiece from Alex Smith. And he has some players who can dominate after the catch. No doubt. I mean, yes, whether it was Saquon Barkley who caught a two-yard pass and then made seven people miss for an eight- or ten-yard gain, or it was Odell Beckham Jr. catching a slant round and running 60 or 70 yards. Ingram when he was healthy. Exactly right. So, you know, again, I don't mean to be a hater on Eli. I know he's a good leader. He's done great things for the franchise. But where he is as a player right now, um, yeah, I I question the Giants' thought process on this one. certainly tried to improve that offensive line, but now we see so often that younger quarterbacks that have that mobility as their out-of-structure kind of trump card can succeed in that area. Eli isn't going to do that mm-hmm. for you at all. And behind an offensive line that had plenty of questions, it was just a recipe for for disaster. Yes, I mean it, it's a different it's a different day and age. Yep. You know, like the prototypical Eli Manning. You know, okay, Phil Simms, Troy Aikman quarterback. We're going to stand in the pocket and just Even stand Josh there. Rosen, man. Well, like I, I like Josh Rosen. I love Josh me Rosen too. coming out of yeah, last year. Right. But more and more, you see it with these young, successful quarterbacks that mobility to it's, extend and win outside of structure. It's a big thing. And that's just not him. Like, no. he, he he will need to be behind a Jared Goff-like offensive line in order to succeed. Or a Tom Brady-type exactly. offensive line. You're exactly right. I mean, those are that's what I was just going to bring up. You know, those are guys who we look at Tom Brady, and yeah, he probably runs a 5-3-40. But he is very mobile within the pocket as far as sliding around. And yeah, we have to take into account he's got a very, very special circumstance of great coaching, great game planning, the best O-line coach in football that we talked about but yeah when I evaluate quarterbacks this day and age as compared to maybe 10 years ago or whatever uh you you have to look at the skill set a little differently because yeah extending plays moving is more part of the game now than ever and and even can keep a player that has questionable success as a thrower yeah Trubisky Josh Allen at times exactly right not afloat but even as lethal threats no doubt yes you're right and I even wonder if that's good example of like Dwayne Haskins' possible critical flaws yeah. as well. And again, just one separator between him and, and Kyler Murray in this draft. Yeah. That same day, Dave Gettleman went on radio with Mike Francesa. Uh-oh. Uh, did you see this quote? No, I don't think I did. So Francesa asked Gettleman if the Giants fans can expect a young quarterback in 2019. Okay. Gettleman says, if all goes according to plan, probably. So who could that quarterback be? Because it certainly doesn't seem like they'll be taking one early in round one, I know there's been a lot of connections with them and Daniel Jones, but yeah, that's I know. a lot of hearsay at this time of right. year. Yep. And obviously the Rosen trade will be yeah. thrown out as well. Yeah, I, I, um, I'm I with you, I think, as we get closer and closer to the draft. 
I don't think the number six pick is going to be for a quarterback for the New York Giants. I, I first of all, think they're trying to make it work with Eli as much as possible. Do you think that that is a Gettleman-Shermer decision, or do you think that I that think the Maras are probably involved in that as well. I do, yes. I think that, that when it comes to Eli Manning and the quarterback position, the Maras uh, probably stick their nose in those type of situations, which, hey, they have every right to. They own the team. They understand football, and they're loyal people, maybe loyal to a fault in this one. but uh, Especially considering how their last time— their last decision on Eli went and, and went yes, through the went through base. It. You would understand somewhat if you get in their position why they would make this type of it, decision. It, it became a big issue. Now, yes, when I think about the second round, that's when I do think the Giants could maybe make a play, whether it's Ryan Finley or, you know, yeah, like you said, a Daniel Jones or maybe somebody at the top of the third round. You know, I know there's people out there that, you know, like the Clayton Thorson kid yeah. a lot. When you go back and watch his film from two years ago, it's pretty good. So, I, you know, again, I, I would think they at least dabble in getting somebody. Okay. Now, whether he's definitely the future, no. But they're going to look for that guy, I think, in second, third round and hope he can be developed in the future guy and then use 16 and 17 or number 6 and number 17 to help the roster out overall and improve the defense and offense. And especially if you're waiting on a quarterback, like build up the offensive line even more, which yes, you're going to. sure. And then we know Dave loves his defensive linemen as well. No doubt. Do you have time for a few more? Oh, yeah, come on. Okay, Dolphins GM Chris Greer. We're not trying to tank or lose every game. Your <laughs> thoughts? I believe that. Okay. I do. Now, I think that they might have a plan for the future in their mind. And I think that, you know, within that plan of the future, having to, you know, what, what do I want to say? Reconstruct the roster, which is, of course, going to make you lose games in itself. Yeah, they're going to lose games or not be very good because they. I think they're starting back at scratch. They're right. going, this This is a dumpster fire down here. Uh, it has nothing to do with the vision of what Greer has or what a Brian Flores has coming from New England. And I think they're going to try to kind of infuse that vision onto that organization here for the next few years and build it. So, you know, NFL, I don't really think tanking goes on, right? I think you would agree with that yeah. too. You're around it. You know, head coaches, it goes, they're, they're damn yearly record goes on their gravestone. I mean, that, that's how big it is. And you don't have to look too far back right. to look at, quote-unquote, rebuilds that the team knew of. And maybe the Browns aren't the best example, but Sashi is one. Uh, even just last year with Steve Wilkes. Sure. Like, I'm certain that everyone in that building thought that Steve Wilkes would be back for 2019, and then we see how many and how bad they were in yeah. 2018. Yeah, I mean, yes. So one awful season can just... One awful season, who knows where it goes. You. And and exactly right. It can destroy your football team. You know, I would hope that Stephen Ross is in this with the long haul for a guy like Brian Flores realizing that the team is not going to be fixed in one year. You know, maybe year two you just like to be competitive and in the playoff conversation. And then year three you hope okay here we go we're ready to do something substantial but uh no you know and again the other thing people have to realize is other than your superstars and you know this everybody else is on a one-year contract in the nfl they're players yeah they're right so all the role players nobody's going oh well this year doesn't really count we're in it to tank it yeah, yeah, yeah. you know so i can take it off coach won't matter coach won't be mad if i miss khalil mack on pass blocking four or five times this game it'd be no big deal i'll be back next year right you know no the, you know the the what do we always say the eye in the sky doesn't lie and at the end of the year for guys who don't have a big long-term contract or guaranteed money coming their way damn the the eye in the sky is going to be the determining factor and whether they're back on the roster or playing somewhere next year so yeah. guys certainly aren't tanking on the field that's for sure 
All right, we'll go to John Elway out in Denver. Oh, baby. I feel like Joe Flacco is just really coming into his prime. What does that make you – how does that make you feel? I, I don't know. That that one, I got to throw the challenge flag out. I got to throw John the, Elway, a Rotor World Football Podcast listener. Hey. One random day, <laughs> right. he decides to retweet the podcast out of nowhere, like just on his Twitter feed. Like I'm sure he wasn't even managing it. That's awesome. in on the Broncos organization. <laughs> yeah. But it was just weird like on a random Wednesday – Elway hey, showing us some love, right? John, hey, he's a legend. So we don't talk bad about him. So just no. make sure you understand. So, so don't worry. I'm not going to talk bad yeah, about him. I'm right. going to I'm going to I'm going to straighten this out. Now I do think that he probably misspoke there, wanting to say something like you do that all the time, all the time. Yes, but whether he's in the <laughs> prime of his career, no. I think we passed the prime. We're on the downslope, but he's still in a point of his career where he can make a lot of good things happen. Uh, I think that's the the big thing I look at at John Elway, and John Elway's got a lot of crap recent years here because, oh my gosh, he missed on Paxton Lynch uh, when, you know, hey, he took a chance on him late in the first round, hoping he can develop him into something. I saw potential with Paxton Lynch. I understand it. He did bring Peyton Manning to town. You know, you know, I know they won a playoff game the year he was there with Tim Tebow. It's not been perfect. Yeah, he's missed at the quarterback position. But the one thing I respect about John Elway, even though he misspoke on this occasion, is he goes all in every year. It's, it's I'm in it to, I'm going to make moves and be aggressive so we're relevant and yeah. we're, we're not in it just to go, oh, we got in the wild card I think he tries to push the, the the chips in the middle of the table every year to go no how can I figure out a way where we can get to the Super Bowl and that's what I appreciate about him he's been aggressive whether it's getting Demarcus Wares or Aqib Tlaib's yeah. and drafting's been pretty aggressive as well and I appreciate that part of John's uh and that's you know, running drastically the team. different than a Dave Gettleman where we talked about I mean, I, I think back to last year's draft that when you're a team like the Philadelphia Eagles, okay, and when they started, when they went up to go get Carson Wentz outside the top 10, they moved into the top 10 and they said, hey, I think we're at pick six or eight. This is going to be our only opportunity to be drafting the top 10. Yeah. And we never want to be here again. Right. So now that we're here, let's go up and get our quarterback. Exactly. That's right. totally different than a Dave Gettleman. No. Who right. these last two years right. has been had top six picks and almost certainly won't take a quarterback with either one. No, no. And, you know, I'll give Gettleman a little bit of a free pass last How year. dare you? Because it was a it was a tough one because it was like one of the few times in history where there was a running back that was so damn good, you said, damn, I know we need a quarterback, but this freak of nature number 26 in Penn State is out of this world, and I don't know if I can pass him up. I think added to the fact that they still thought there was life in Eli's game yeah. uh, led them to go with, go with Saquon. Getting back to Elway, I don't know if you are able to look at his comments because he does talk quite a bit for yeah, the GM right. president. How much he talks about quarterbacks coming from under center mm -hmm. and like to him, how much of a determining factor that is. Yeah. Do you, how, how important putting yourself in his shoes? Right. Is that just super old school? I, I think it's old school. I think he, you know, again, I think to like how we started the conversation with some of the run game stuff and play action passing. And hey, he's got a guy there that, you know, in uh, Rich Scangrello, I always mess up his name, who comes from the Kyle Shanahan school of coaching where, you know, running the football, being underneath the center, outside zone, inside zone. Yeah. Oh, play action pass boots are very important to making that offense work 
work. Um, it wouldn't be a determining factor for me. Listen, if a quarterback has skill and athletic ability, I'd like to think a few weeks of working with him, he's going to figure out how to drop back and operate underneath the center. Um, so for so it's not the end all be all for me. Yeah. Like you know, hey, Kyler Murray, it's if he gets weird, underneath the center, like, he's going to be fine. Every interview he has, he brings he it brings up, that up. Huh? It, yeah, it, it is interesting. Yeah. Now I am a believer of like teams are in the shotgun too much this day and age at okay. times. I do think there is a benefit to being underneath the center in the run game, especially. I think you get more of a downhill run game when you're underneath the center as being in the shotgun where you're, you know, okay, the running back's to the left or the right of me, and I just stick out the ball, and his first movements have to be horizontal instead of vertical. Uh, And, of course, there's hard to put a fullback into those situations. It's hard to really make play-action pass look real great off of that as well. And that's probably what John likes because that's how he played. Let's just meet in the middle and go in the pistol. Yeah. Uh, okay, Titans GM John Robinson. Right. Quarterback Marcus Mariota is a starter, and Ryan Tannehill is his backup. Yeah. Or Sims, what do you think? I, I believe it, yes. I think that's what will be intended to happen throughout training camp and early season. But, I mean, they. I believe you also made, like, we brought him in here to push Marcus a little bit too, right? So those, to me, are code words for, yeah, we're not going to name him the starter, but if he comes in here and totally outperforms Mariota through the preseason and things like that, well, we might think about it. Um, no, I think he would probably have to go above and beyond in the preseason to win the starting job. I think it really realistically would have to take like, oh, the Titans start out one and two and Mariota hasn't been very good. And now you go to Tannenhill. But I like the move by J-Rob. I mean, first of all, they have a very similar skill set, right? Mm-hmm. Mariota and Tannenhill. I always say they're athletes who play quarterback instead of quarterbacks who are athletes. Like Mahomes and Rodgers are quarterbacks yeah. who are athletes. But, but not to the all the way extreme of like a Blake Boy. No, no, definitely right. not. No, but, these, but these guys are, have more natural passing tendencies than a right. guy like that. Yes. But what's interesting is yeah. both of those guys are most successful inside of structure. Yeah. And and that might not be the case when you think of a lot of athletes playing quarterback. No, like, no, I'm I not going to call either one necessarily robotic. Right. Sometimes they do in terms of, hey, hit my back foot and deliver the football in a timely manner. No doubt. That, that really kind of is, is the foundation of the evaluations for Mariota and, and Taylor. Uh, agreed. Or times where I go, hey, you're a good athlete nobody's open run and get out of the pocket stop trying to prove to me that you're this robot that's sitting in the pocket and look like, like look I'm patting the ball and I'm going through my reads great no no this is the time we want you to run that's what I mean like it's just natural feel for the position to a degree yeah. and yeah I think it's a not, not only a good move by the Tennessee Titans yeah listen I you know Marcus Mar- Marcus Mariota has not stayed healthy we know that Tannehill hasn't been much better but at least when Tannehill comes in you don't have to change the offensive philosophy you can do the same things and I would argue Tannehill is probably a better passer mm. than Mariota uh, at this point in his careers. How did Matt LaFleur get a head coaching job after that offense made no sense? I uh, it confusing for half the year until they finally rode Derrick Henry. Uh, I mean, you, you, I don't know. He's got a shamrock up his butt. Okay, that's how. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm a, I really like Matt LaFleur. I yeah. always thought he would be a head coach in the NFL. He's got the personality, the charisma to be that guy. Do I think he deserved it this year? Absolutely not. 
not? I mean, that's as, as a head-scratching move as there was this offseason. Yes. Um, yeah, I know he knows Sean McVay, and he worked under Kyle Shanahan, and everybody's looking for that guy right now. Uh, but but I, I think you, me, if we sat here and we went through the negatives of the Tennessee Titan team last year, we would both probably go, the offense was probably the biggest issue, and pass game creativity to a degree. There was no identity. No, you didn't know exactly right. What were they? You're right. They weren't anything until all of a sudden Derrick Henry came on the end of the year, and we said, okay, just keep giving to that big guy, and we'll see where it goes. That was the only identity they had. The final five weeks yeah, of the season. right. Um, we'll go two more. Tom Coughlin, obviously, mm-hmm. Jacksonville. I have full confidence in Leonard Fournette. Yeah. How is this even a possibility after how that season ended yeah. with Leonard Fournette? How they basically tried to take money away from him in terms of guaranteed money. Right. Then they have this single meeting after the season, and now it's all good. Yeah. Nick Foles and Leonard Fournette moving forward. Well, I, I think I'm not going to look at it anything that he did egregiously wrong last year. There's been worse in the NFL. Yeah. Now, yeah, did he he ran out in the field in Buffalo and stuck up for one of his teammates? Like, he shouldn't have. It was a dumb move. We know that. But you know in football world, that's not like the worst thing you can do. A guy that, like, wants his, to get his teammates back. You know, I think really what happens here, he is a young, immature guy a little bit, had to deal with some injuries. I think they have to take that into account and really at the end of the day I don't think there's any malice in Leonard Fournette and I think that's probably what they realize there's no bad history back to LSU I think his scouting report off the field is no this is a good young guy exactly right who's got talent and works hard and loves to play football and they can deal with some of the yeah you know, end of the season crap, whether it was talking on the sidelines right. or, you know, getting involved in the fight. He's still super talented. And what was fascinating yeah. to me, though, was in those final few games after that suspension, what have you, right. they even gave carries to like some undrafted for agent and David Williams yeah. and didn't want to give him a full workload. My question to you is this right. How can a team, like, there are only 32 of these jobs running an NFL team? Right. Okay. How can one believe? that the best way to succeed in the NFL is to bank on a defense for two consecutive seasons being Hall of Fame caliber, being historic, and then just want to run the football with an offensive line that might not have a ton of stars and Blake Bortles at your quarterback. Yeah, no. Like, that's basically what they went into the 2018 season doing. No doubt. I, I mean, that's where, um, yeah, I, I, you know, you know me. I'm not a big Blake Bortles fan. Uh, Is it just the fear of not moving on from Blake Bortles in that scenario? I, I, and not even, because they didn't even try to improve for years right. at the position. I think for years, at the start of it, he was the number three pick, and they were going to give him nine lives. They were just, gosh, he has to fail nine, 95 times before we say we were wrong and moved on. Then when they were getting towards that point, finally, they went to the AFC Championship game. Yep. But as you mentioned, the thing they went there <laughs> in a fashion that is just not realistic or doesn't happen very often in the not NFL. Right. We're going to just smash the ball forward all game and run the ball. And our defense is going to create a few turnovers, maybe even score a touchdown in most big games and dominate to an extent where, yeah, that was one of the more impressive defensive teams we ever saw in the history of football. Um, so I think where they really messed up. Hey, I, I'm not mad at Tom Coughlin and the logic he keeps saying, where he keeps he keeps banging the drum. We went to the AFC Championship game. We were up by 10 points in yeah. the fourth quarter. You know, Of course I brought him back. Yes, I'm not mad at you for that. 
I'm mad at you, Jacksonville, for negotiating basically against yourself and giving a guy an amount of money that nobody else in the NFL would have gave him. Yeah. That's really the problem. You know, why did they have to give him all that money? Three years, fifty-four million. I think if they offered three years, thirty-eight million. You're talking about Nick, right? Yeah. No, I'm talking about with like, even Bortles okay. after the year they go to the AFC about Championship. Nick's contract. Yeah, this sure. Year? Did you right. see the report? I think it was from either Mike Garofalo or or Tom Pelissero mm-hmm. said, because again, I think they were in a situation where they were kind of negotiating with themselves yeah. or against themselves. Right. And he said something to the effect of, I thought that's yeah. what they folded the rumor about Ryan Tannehill to Jacksonville. Possibly. I thought it was always thought it was maybe it was a lower Foles asking and, price. And Foles got around what, like 18. I did. Well, he got four years, 84, right? Am okay. I right about that? I so, believe so. People assume that maybe they could go five or seven lower than that since there was no one else negotiating with them. Right. The reporter said, basically, in order to give him clout in the locker room, sure. like one of the top paid quarterbacks in the league so he can walk in there and be the unquestioned leader, they had to go up to this scale rather than below. Tell me I'm crazy for thinking that that is absolutely insane. Uh it, I mean, it is insane, but it's real. It's a real thing. It's crazy. Yeah, because teams are so into shaping their team, and this is our guy. And I will and, never understand the locker room dynamic. Right. I've never been in one. No, I was but, never a player, so I totally understand that. Just from an outside point of view. Sure. To me, that's nuts. Yeah, no, I, I get it. I, it is a little nuts. So we, yeah. We've put the quarterback too much on a pedestal throughout the NFL, in the media, whatever it may be. I mean, the, the quarterback is out you know, leverage the head coaches on team. It goes owner, franchise quarterback, head coach, GM. I mean, that's really the pecking order it's going right now in the NFL with the teams that have big time quarterbacks. But to what you're saying, hey, Coughlin comes from a school like the Giants or the Patriots where they do believe in shaping the team around a quarterback, a leader. This is the this is the captain of the offense. This is yeah. our guy. And we're all going to buy into him and believe that he can pull us through some tough stretches. And I think that's why he got probably extra money just to justify that but you're right I mean if they gave them four years 72 million I don't think anybody else was going to offer that either and I don't think anybody in the locker room would have been like oh gosh I disrespect him now it's only 72 million he's a piece of crap (laughs) 84 million. I better right, step right, in right, line right. and get the, I got to really respect them. But uh, yeah. And hey, talk about another coach who was a bullcrap uh, artist uh, with Marone. Nick who? Nick, Nick, Nick who? Oh, Nick yeah, who? Yeah, Remember yeah, when yeah, they yeah. first got DiFilippo? Going, going full circle here yeah. is the biggest difference for Nick Foles that he's facing during his time with the Eagles, with the Jaguars, talent along the offensive line, continuity along the offensive line, and not being able to potentially stay in structure as much as he did in Philadelphia, along with the Doug Peterson coaching versus... Yeah, the- right. There's, yeah, exactly. There's, yeah, yeah. There's, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. Yeah, there's all there's all of that. Um, yeah, the Philadelphia team, I mean, Doug's a good game planner. Frank Reich, the year before that, was a phenomenal game planner at, you know, in, in co- collaboration with Doug. Um, yes, the offensive line for Philly is is very good but Jacksonville if healthy okay it is pretty damn good too you know we got to remember Cam Robinson got hurt last yep. year I believe we're down Nor- to third string that's what I mean Norwell spot. missed some games right center got hurt I believe at one point so uh, I do look at this team and this offensive line if they can stay healthy they can they can be a certainly a better offense than they were in 2017 when they went to the AFC championship game but they want to run the football with Doug Marone as the head coach and hopefully John DeFilippo and Nick Foles can just bring enough of the drop back pass game and play action pass game to where Leonard Fournette isn't seeing nine people within seven feet of the line of scrimmage like uh like he did when Blake Bortles was the quarterback uh we'll close with a non-football question uh 
Um, I kind of just like to end all the podcasts now since we somewhere in the off season, even though it's draft season. Um, what content outside of football have you been consuming as of late? I know on yesterday's episode of Chris Sims Unbuttoned, which you can all go subscribe to, uh, you went on, I'm not going to call it a rant, um, just a monologue yes. of how red meat and cows are awful for the environment. Right. Have you been watching a bunch of documentaries lately? Well, I always, I'm very uh, well educated on that topic. Okay. So yes, climate change is whole, is very close to my heart. And I know people, some people are, think it's an unpopular subject where I want to just go, okay, great, but it's real and it's here and we need to do some things about it. So yes, I'm always up on that. Or you want to know what, like anything, what, any other, content outside of football yeah, that you're consuming as a yeah. that you would recommend to any listeners. Sure. No, I mean, I don't know if I, that's that's what's actually crazy about me right now is my my content has moved to NBA basketball a little bit okay. to where I'm into that I'm fine trying I caught up on some of the Oscar movies right that I didn't know about so I got to watch Vice that's one I still haven't watched but I have been doing that with the wife um you know shows I'm not really a show Weekly guy show, not really and I'm like and I'm, books, audiobooks, no, no, nope, definitely not, All definitely right. not. No, I mean, okay. I, you know, hey, with me, it's it's uh, straightforward. It's pretty straightforward. And and when I turn on TV, I look at sports. I might look at the news and go through the movie channels. What's on movies wise? But yeah, uh, I am. I'm pretty straightforward. And you know, I got kids, and they're always running around asking me to change the damn channel, anyways. So it's like it's hard to get in a groove with anything. Uh, that is Chris Sims. Again, you can find him every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday on PFT Live, every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on Chris Sims Unbuttoned. You can find that on NBC Sports' YouTube page or anywhere you find your own podcast. Chris, yeah, you so much man, Josh. Thanks for having me, man. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.